John Fury, you got my friend Joe Egan really mad at you. Joe Egan is looking for John Fury, okay? Okay, Joe Egan. Now, it's personal, Joe. Why would you want to fight John Fury? John Fury has made a statement. He would fight any 58-year-old on the planet. Now, I'm 58. I could beat John Fury. I'll take up that challenge. You want it? Let's get it on. The boxing is blossoming with the success of the YouTubers. It's bringing more fighters into the sport. I think it's incredible. Mike Tyson said, Joe Egan is the toughest white man on the planet. It's telling lies. (laughs) Bad cast, my Broken bones. Smash knee, smash jaw, smash shoulder. And that was the point when yeah, my career's over. Over. My life went downhill very, very fast after that. The police had an armed response unit ready. They knew what was coming to the pub. 37 men armed with a shotgun, a handgun, hatchets and machete attacked the pub. My life has been hard, Dutch. Mm. I've had battles all my life. But let me tell you something now. And I look on the camera and I'll say that. You're dead tomorrow. Welcome to the Eventful Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to proper characters of all lived eventful lives. Do us a favour and hit that follow button and be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok at Dodge Woodall, where we've now had over 100 million views. Joe Egan is famously known by Mike Tyson as the toughest white man on the planet. He talks about his upbringing in Ireland and how it led him to box the likes of Lennox Lewis and become Mike Tyson's best mate. The seven-time Irish heavyweight boxing champ talks about being accused of murder, his life in prison and coming out of a coma. Joe gets heated and calls out John Fury for a big money fight in Saudi Arabia. This is the eventful life of Mr. Joe Egan. Joe, welcome to the show, mate. Dodge, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, this one. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. Let's roll all the way back, Joe. Where did you grow up? What's that feeling like knowing that Mike Tyson called you the toughest white man on the planet? I just want to clarify something there. I sparred with Mike this particular day. There was four white sparring partners. Some days there'd be some black guys, but this day there was four white sparring partners and he knocked three of them out. I was number four. I got battered from pillar to post, but I never got put down. And at the end of the spar, Mike Tyson said, Joe Egan is the toughest white man on the planet. Far, far from it. I was the toughest white man in the gym that day. That day. <laughs> but what a compliment from Lovely. a man like Mike Tyson. Like, if you're going to get battered, you might as well get battered by the best. I got battered by the best heavyweights of my era. Yeah. I got battered by Mike Tyson and I got battered by Lennox Lewis. But it was an honour to share the ring with both of them because they achieved what every fighter dreams of achieving, yeah. winning world titles. When I climbed into the ring, I dreamed the dream. I wasn't anywhere near good enough mm. to win a world title. I won Irish titles, which was a major achievement for me. And it was a great honour to be Irish champion. But to share the ring with two of the greatest heavyweights of all time, the two great heavyweights of my era, and just to be able to say that they're my friends after all these years is a wonderful feeling. But that's the greatest thing about the sport of boxing. First and foremost, it gives you self-respect. Then it gives you respect for your opponent. And that's such an important thing in life to have self-respect and respect for others. And discipline. Well, the discipline, yeah, yeah for the sport, mm. you know, you have to because you play football, you play golf, you play tennis, you play basketball, you don't play boxing. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a hurtful sport. You know, anybody that tells you the punches don't hurt is telling lies. <laughs> you know, all the punches hurt. Mm. And when you're getting hit by heavyweights like Mike Tyson, they really hurt. Mm. You know, it, the, uh, it made me cry many, many times, Dodge. Mm. Made me cry many times. He did. 
He did, yeah. Wow. Yeah. My mum used to speak to him on the phone. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for looking after my son. He was battering me week in, <laughs> week out. But she didn't know that. She didn't know that, no. And he visited her many times in Dublin. And to walk through the streets of Dublin with, with, with a man like Mike Tyson, to walk any street with Mike Tyson, yeah. you know, I'm very proud to say he's my very good friend. Yeah, he speaks very highly of you. I'll tell you who we had on We had on last week. We had Michael Francis. You know, the oh, uh, lovely, man, lovely, lovely man. Yeah, yeah the ex An incredible life, incredible life. What he's done is unbelievable in, in, in New York and what he's done in his life. But he interviewed Mike Tyson yeah. and Mike was massively bigging you up, saying the nicest, kindest man he's ever met in his life. He actually you. said that on the podcast because yeah. Michael Francis said, you called Joe the baddest white man. He said, no, no, no the, the toughest. toughest. That's right. You know, and I don't claim to be a tough guy. Yeah. Every person that climbs into the ring to fight or to get into the cage to fight or to go onto the match to fight yeah. is a person born with courage. Yeah. You can teach people skills to fight, but if, if they haven't got the courage to fight, it's no good. Yeah. That's something you're born with. Fighters, whether it be in the cage, on the mat, bare knuckle, boxing, is, 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 is a courageous thing to do. Yeah. The modern day gladiators, mm. you know, years ago, they would go into the arena with swords and spears and fight to entertain the crowds and fight to the death. You know, when you get into these fights today, they're not fighting to the death, but it's a, it's a contact sport fighting. It's to entertain the crowds and fighters are modern day gladiators. Yeah. And I admire and respect all forms of fighting. Yeah. You know, I just happen to love the sport of boxing because mm. I'm an ex-boxer. Yeah. You know, but uh, it is, to me, the greatest sport in the world. Yeah, agree. Agree. So where did you grow up? There's just... Dublin. In Dublin, okay. Yeah, my mum my, 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 my is a Ring's End woman. Uh, my dad was a Dundalk man. And um, that's seven children. I'm the, I'm the eldest of seven. And my dad came to the UK to work like a lot of the Irish Ireland's greatest export has always been its people. Yeah. You know, they say it's Guinness and Waterford Crystal. It's not. It's people. Yeah. You know, wherever you go in the world, for such a small nation, we've made some impact around yeah. the world. The Irish are, are everywhere. You know, we're an incredible race. And I do tell people, there's only two kinds of people in this world, Irish people and those people that wish they were Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Quality. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, we're a good nation of yeah. people, you know. Yeah. And... Um, my dad came to the UK to work. What what rough year did he come over here? Oh, he came here when he was 17. And then he came back to Ireland. Oh, okay. And he met my mum when he was 20. She was 15. And um, he was backwards and forwards to Ireland like, like you do. Yeah. When you come over, you still want to go home and still put family. your feet on the ground yeah. in Ireland, like, you know. And uh, they eloped when she was 16. He was he was 21. And uh that's seven children, but she didn't like to leave Dublin. Yeah. She didn't like England and she didn't like America. My dad worked in England and he worked in America. She visited both countries, but she couldn't wait to get back to Dublin. Yeah. And um, we used to come and visit him here when he was working in London and Manchester and Birmingham and as kids on our school holidays. And I got bullied as a child, you know, because I had the Irish accent when I came to the UK. I got my two front teeth knocked out in Manchester on the day I made my Holy Communion. I was seven or eight years of age and two of the, the bully boys were 15 or 16. They tried to take my Holy Communion medal. So I held onto my medal and they knocked my two front teeth out. All my years boxing, I only ever had one tooth knocked out. I had a hard time with the bullies, you know, all my life. 
And um, when I was in England as a child, I picked up the English accent so I could mix in. And then when I went home oh, to Dublin, okay. I got bullied in Dublin because I had the English accent. So when the bully boys would finish beating on me, rather than beat on, beat on my brothers and sisters, I used to jump back in and say, no, don't hit them, hit me more. You know. And uh, as a child, I could, I could absorb a beating mm. because I got battered by the bullies. Mm. So then my dad, he said, you got to learn how to box on you know, to stand up to the bully boys. And I said, okay, dad. So me and my two brothers, we went down to the boxing gym and uh, I wasn't much good. I've never been much good. I was just tough, but I had to grow up tough because getting battered by bullies. And um, in the boxing ring, it was actually quite safe for me. It was only one man hitting me. Mm. Even if it was Mike Tyson, it was still just one man. You know, and you had a referee in the fights. When I fought Lennox Lewis, I got battered by Lennox, but I had a referee. You had a break in between rounds, you had corner men, you had medical care. You don't have that luxury when you're getting battered by bullies. Yeah. You know, if you were fortunate enough to be able to get home to your safe haven, close your front door, you were lucky if they didn't catch you. But now they've got bullies bullying with the internet and uh, mobile phones yeah. and it's horrible mm. because see with a physical beating dodge, right? You get an arm broke or a nose broke or a jaw broke. They will give you a, a time where this would heal. Mm. See emotional torture, emotional pain. There's no time scale of when it's going to heal, you know? And these bullies, these, these internet bullies and these um, mobile phone bullies, I don't like bullies, no. Dutch. No one likes a bully. No, no, no. And if you speak to most boxers, I've been all over the world, I've fought all over the world. Yeah. You speak to most boxers, it's a similar story. Similar, isn't it? It is very, yeah. very similar, you know. And yeah. same with the gangsters and same with the bank robbers. And there's always been trauma as a kid, whether it's bullying or something going on. The most violent people I know got bullied as a kid. Yeah. It's horrible. Mm. You know, so when I started the boxing, we we, 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 we started in uh, in a gym in London as a kid. Uh, my dad was working in London, went to the Oldsfield Boxing Club as a child and uh, made friends with uh, Keith Druid and Mick were the trainers there, Mr. Mr. Um, Parmentor. Frank Bruno boxed for the club as a child as well. And Did you say Ellsfield? Ellsfield, Did yeah. you? Okay. Yeah. Near okay. Near We were yeah. the only kids. We yeah. were like 10, you know, 10, 9, 10 years mm. of age. And um, then when I came home to Dublin, I thought, well, right, okay, we're because... We, my dad encouraged us to go, mm. so he was in London at the time. So when I came home to Dublin, uh, spoke to friends in Rings End, where I'm from, a guy called Jerry Byrne, and he brought us up. He had the fruit and vegetable shop in Rings End, and he brought us up to the North Boxing Club. I was 11, I think. Mm. Well, you were and, big 11. Like you were yeah, a big I was, man. Yeah, I was you were a big, big heavyweight now. Little, you know? I, was a, I was a little fat kid. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah, I was a little fat kid, yeah. I've been a fat kid most of my life, that's to tell you the truth, yeah. because I love my food, yeah. you know. I do love my food. People ask me, you know, what's my favourite meal? I always say seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I just love grub. Some people eat to live. I yeah. live to eat. I just enjoy my food. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's the way I, <laughs> I, do, I do love food. Anyway. Uh, was your old man oh, a mentor a, for you? Oh, was he a tough dad, man, was he? Oh, my dad was a tough man. He was, was it? Okay. Oh, yeah. In every boy's eyes, his dad's the toughest yeah, man right. on the planet. That's right. You know, my dad, in my eyes, was the toughest Same. man on the planet. Same. He was a powerful man, mm. six foot three in his prime. He was a concrete worker. And 
I remember as a kid when we come over to visit him and you'd see him with his shirt off and he had a back on him like a set of wings, yeah. shoulders, arms and a fine, fine man, disciplined man. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, he wasn't so-called hard on us. You know, we never hit us unless we've done something yeah. bold, you know, and, uh, he, he, he was a good dad. Yeah. You know, I wish at the ground he stood on. Yeah. It's nice to hear, man. I lost him in, uh, 2022. Did you? Mum and dad went the same year. He went on the, uh, 24th of April on his 85th birthday. My mum went on the 28th of December. Horrible year. But all they ever wanted to do was to do him proud, you know? So when, when he encouraged were they, us- Were they the same age when they passed? No, uh, five, no, years, five, five years, five years younger. Them. Yeah, yeah okay. my mum was five. My mum went on, she was 80, my dad was 85. But, how, um, how, how did they pass? My dad got Alzheimer's and um, it was, it was, it was sad to see because he said to me years before, he, because of the concrete work, he got a, his hands and he got uh, the Kuipers in his hands. I remember taking him down to London to get the treatment on his hands. And he said to me, he said, son, if the day ever comes, he said, well, I can't clean my backside. He said, it's time to go. couple of weeks before he went he, he, he dirted himself and I remember my brother Connolly I went a few Tom cleaning him and I knew then he's gonna want to go even though he had the Alzheimer's yeah. I know we had certain times we'd have him back it was only 18 months we'd lost him but certain times in him 18 months he chats here some days he didn't recognise us, you know, which was hard not to be recognised by your own dad, you know. It's a horrible illness. Yeah. And then some days he talk about things from the past and I'd say, how does he remember that? You know, some days it happened back. But I know, I remember watching him on the floor and my brother's cleaning him, my brother and my nephew cleaning him. And I knew then, but he made it to his 85th birthday. I believe he went when he wanted to go, yeah. you know, and um, ripped the heart clean out of me. But then mum, it broke her heart. Even though they weren't living together, she was back in Dublin and he was in the UK. He'd been backwards and forwards to America, but he'd worked his working life in the UK and England. And he loved this country, same as I love this country. Yeah. This country has been good to me and good to my dad. And go to my brothers and sisters because he made a good living here to be able to provide for us, you know. And um, she went down here, my mom, when my dad passed. And I just think she gave up the will to live. Because like I said, they didn't live together, but they adored each other, yeah. you know. She wore her wedding ring with pride. There was no one else in either of their lives. They just, they just loved each other. And I think she believed that when he retired, at 65 or 70, whatever age he was going to give up work, that he'd come home to Dublin and just spend his, his last years with, with, with mum in Dublin. But he had other ideas. He didn't want to go back to Ireland to live. His, his pension was here and America. And um, 
he just spent his last few years here. But when that dementia hit him and we saw him going down, you know, you had to remind him to eat because if you don't remind people with Alzheimer's yeah. to eat, they won't eat. Was he in a home or was he still at home? No, at he, home. Was, he was my, my brother and my nephew were looking, looking after, after him. him. Yeah. Wow, he, lived with, he lived with my brother and uh, my nephew would call every day and um, my brother, they minded him. They minded him very well, but he minded us. Yeah. Even though he was away a lot of years working, he always sent the money home. Yeah. You know, we, we, we might not have had chocolate biscuits, but we'd have a biscuit. Yeah. You know, we might not have had, you know, the, the best of food, but we were all fed. Yeah. You know, we always sent the money home to my mum. And my mum could make a feast out of nothing. <laughs> you know, she used to do curry beans long before Heinz were doing curry beans because beans was part of... Everyday potatoes was part of every yeah. day, you know. And uh, mum used to make beans exciting <laughs> and uh, curry beans and beans on toast and beans beside toast and <laughs> beans in your potato and beans for seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much fat in our house. Like, you know, you don't like a match. <laughs> you don't like a match. You know, seven of us eating beans. <laughs> you know, I'm a mum, so eight of us eating beans. You know, sure, my mum let rip a few times. <laughs> <laughs> she was dignified when she found it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Mate, so they were together like 65 odd years. Yeah, yeah. That's unheard of these days, isn't it? You know, but Fair. it was in them times, it was, it was, you know, it was, you make a commitment to yeah. your partner and, and you're in. stood by that commitment. So, so what were your movements? What were your movements to get to America? How old were you when you went to America? Oh, see, see, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to see um, family and friends going off to America. That was like the big place to go to, you know, you had mm. the Irish going to New York and stuff, you know. So when I was 17, I'll go back to, to when, I, when, I, when with the No Boxing Club. When Jerry Byrne brought us up to the No Boxing Club, there was loads of Irish champions in this an, an incredible club. Mm. And there was a heavyweight called Paddy Finn. And he was, he was the Irish champion. And he'd been over to America. Muhammad Ali actually wanted him to stay on in America. Paddy Finn was an incredible heavyweight. And I used to want to emulate him. Mm. I wanted to become the Irish champion like Paddy Finn and go to America to box. That was like the big thing, you know. So when I was like 11, it was the ambition to follow in the footsteps of Paddy Finn. So when I was 17, I won the Irish title. I won three in the same year. The under-19s, the junior, and then the following year, but it was the same season, yeah. I won the seniors. But after winning the under-19s, I got to go out to America on the Irish team, and I boxed in Atlantic City, <laughs> and I boxed a big Marine sergeant called William Dawson. He was 28, big powerhouse for a man. And he battered me, punched the living daylights out of me. But I could take the beating, like I said, mm. Dodger, I, I, I can take a beating. I've had beatings, savage beatings. You know, not just in the boxing ring, on the street by gangs. You know, I've been hit with every mm. clubs, two by fours, baseball bats. Got battered with a cricket bat one day. A few of them had the cricket, all sorts of yokes hitting me. But um, I could take a beating, and I can still take a beating to this day. It's 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 in me. Just you're born with that toughness. But you can and, also give a beating, John. Uh, Let's not put yourself down no, here. I, I, like, I, I, yeah. I, I've, I've dished out some punishment in yeah. the boxing ring. You know, I've had some great fights with some great champions. But um, when I got hammered by um, Bruce Seldon, whatever I'd done during the fight, 
impressed Floyd Patterson, who was a former mm-hmm. heavyweight champion of the world. He was married to an Irish lady. He took a great interest in the Irish boxing team. Paul Fitzgerald, the featherweight, brilliant, brilliant boxer. He won and won impressively. And Floyd gave him the opportunity to stay on in America. He lives in a place called Upper Derby in Philadelphia. I went to visit Paul on a few occasions where they'd done the Live Aid concert and I saw the Rocky ah, statue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. You know, Paul's my friend. And like a lot of boxers, the friendship that you have, the mm. friendship, even guys you fight mm. and you embrace after the fight. You know, I, I, I've been best friends with, with guys I fought. Carl Ryan in the, in the senior final. We won away to the senior final, battered each other in the final, then went to work together on the door. He was the head doorman in the nightclub where I worked. Mm. I was the best man at his wedding. But it's, it's no hatred. Mm. It's no animosity. It's just a sport. And you're the best person, male or female, you want to win. Yeah. And, the best person wins on the night. And um, anyway, um, Floyd gave me the opportunity. He said, you haven't got much skill. He said, but you've got a good chin and you've got an abundance of courage. He said, would you like to stay on in America? I said, I'd love to. It's like, this is like- Dream. A dream, yeah. yeah absolutely, you yeah. know, I wouldn't have had the money to go back, Dodge, you yeah, know, you yeah. know, 17 year old boy. I was working the doors at 15. I left school when I was 14. Where, where, whereabouts in the country working the doors? Dublin. I worked in the Dublin, door on Leeson okay. Street. Yeah, yeah, Leeson Street. Yeah, there? yeah. Honestly. I started working in a nightclub called Jules Nightclub. Yeah. Um, it was on, uh, it was the old Chivagos mm. for Pat Gibbons. And I was 15. They thought I was 21 on the door. There was Declan Foley, Johnny McIntyre and Johnny Nugent were the other three doormen. <laughs> and, uh, they thought I was 21. I was only, I was only 15. <laughs> and, uh, I remember two of my old school teachers, Jim Doherty and Mr. Cook came to the club one night. And uh, I was bringing the barriers out and I saw them and they were dressed in ripped denims and clogs and clogs, clogs, like well, cl- wooden things. Wooden what, clogs, what, yeah, they were very trendy. Oh, were they? Okay, yeah. like, go back. Go that's, back like the, that's like the, yeah. the Crocs these days, isn't it? Yeah, they have the poncho on and ripped yeah. denims and Jim Doherty was my physics teacher. Mr. Cook was my English teacher, but you could call Jim, Jim, he was cool. Yeah. And, uh, so Declan Foley said, excuse me, guys, the dress code isn't ripped denims and ponchos and clogs, clogs, yeah. um, whatever. So sorry. And I sort of looked down, I stood back. And Mr. Cook, very posh English teacher, he said, don't you just buy our clothing attire. Boy, Scooty, and next of all, he saw me and he went, oh, it was just about to say it's a teenage disco. I've stepped out and I've pushed Declan aside and I'm sort of winking at the two teachers. I said, hello, Jim. I said, uh, it's all right, Declan. These were my school teachers when I left school years ago. (laughs) I'd only left the year before, 14. So I've ushered them in. Yeah. So... Mr. Cook said, what are you doing here, Joe? I said, they think I'm 21. I'm on the door here. I'm a security. Say nothing. Go up and enjoy yourself. Brilliant. Right? And uh, I, would tell, I would tell that story to friends on the, when I worked the doors. Yeah. But uh, Declan Foley was a um, head doorman. Johnny McIntyre and Johnny Nugent. So when, you, so when you're in America then, so so when, he said he said you stay on. I want you to stay yeah, on. Stay yeah, stay on. Because like I said, I wouldn't have had the money to yeah. come back. So I phoned my mum. I said, mum, I said, I'm going to stay in America. I had no phone number for my dad. I didn't even know what part of the UK he was mm. in at that stage. And with no mobile phones then. Mm. So I found my mom home and I said, Mom, I said, Floyd Patterson has given me the opportunity to stay in America. Oh, son, you'll never come home. I said, I'll be home next year, ma'am. I said, I will come home. So he took me to Gleason's gym and it was Al Gavin and Bob Jackson, two of the men that had the gym. They, they had done business with Cuss. And, Customato. Uh, Customato, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Did so you get they, to meet Custom? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I lived with a cuss. Did you? I'll tell you now in a second. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I got, uh, I got a sparring session that day in Gleason's with, uh, Art Tucker and I can't remember the other heavyweight's name. 
And I gave a good account of myself, mm. you know. So Al Gavin and Bob Jackson said, there's a young heavyweight in the cat skills called Mike Tyson and he's looking for sparring partners. So I went, how do you mean the young heavyweight? They said he's 17. I was so happy to hear 17 yeah. because like I said, I've been so used to fighting men yeah. and the, the American that had given me the beating the week before was 28 big yeah. Marine sergeants. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have some of that. I didn't know who Mike Tyson was. Mike Tyson was knocking men out left, right and center. Yeah. I didn't know this. He'd sparred with Frank Bruno when he was 15 and battered Frank Bruno and Frank Bruno battered him. So yeah. they, they, they had given, um, so much praise to this young heavyweight. And Frank Bruno, at the time, 20 powerful, powerful man. Yeah. And him and Mike, savage sparring sessions. And uh, so I believe, but I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah. So when I got to the cat skills and I met Cuss and Camille and Marnie and Tom Patty and Jay and the Hilton brothers and some other fighters that were there, it was such a warm welcome. And I thought, how beautiful is this up on the Catskill Mountains, on the Hudson River? It's supposed to be where Rip Van Winkle slept for so many okay. years. It's so tranquil and peaceful mm. and beautiful. And I thought, wow, this would be like a home from home for me. Next of all, I met Mike. I was introduced to Mike. He came over, embraced me, welcomed me. And I'm looking at him and he was smaller than me. Yeah. Several months younger than me. What is he, 5'10"? I'm 6'1". Six, one, six, so one, he was okay. a couple of inches shorter yeah. than me. So... He spoke with a bit of a lisp mm. and I just thought he's smaller than me. He's several months younger than me. I'll batter him, right? But I didn't know what he was able to do. I didn't know what he was capable of at the time. And we walked and we talked and he was fascinated with the history of Irish boxing. He's like a walking encyclopedia yeah. on boxing. And he loved the history of the Irish fighters. He loved the history, particularly Barry McGuigan at the time, because mm. Barry had the um, relationship with Mr. Eastwood, who when I went professional, I signed with Mr. Eastwood. So he was fascinated about Barry because his relationship was Cuss, was like father and son. Yeah. And at the time, Mr. Eastwood and Barry, like father and was son. It? it was very, yeah. very wonderful at the time. They, they, they had a fallout towards the end, which was sad. Mm. But, uh, Why? at the time, Why did they I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There was all sorts of talk going okay. on, but I don't know. And I wouldn't like to comment yeah. either because, yeah, yeah. Mr. Eastwood was a kind, decent man, and, and Barry McGuigan's a kind, decent yeah. man, you know, but whatever happened during their relationship and managerial, you know, time of, mm. of, 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 of Barry, it went sour. Yeah, and it was okay. sad to see, yeah. why, you know, being money? Irish. Money? Who knows? Who knows? you know, but, okay. um, it normally is, it money, was sad, isn't it? yeah, usually, <laughs> but it was sad to see because it was so wonderful. And with him being the Irish world champion and, like I said, the relationship that they had was special, but it went sour. Mm. But anyway, uh, me and Mike, we became instant friends and uh, we walked and we talked. We had that night, went to watch footage of the fights that he had access to. He had access to Jim Jacobs and Bill Caton's library of fights, which was the biggest in the world. And Mike was watching them on old cine reels and it was incredible. Mm. And he used to like... He'd say, if Joe, if that left hook landed, man, that would change the history of that weight division, you know, and... To Mike, there wasn't enough boxing to watch. Really? Oh, he lived for it. Oh. There's only, to me, there's only so much you can watch, but yeah. he could watch it and watch mm. it and watch it. He lived for it. What sort of year are we talking here? 83, 84. 83, 84. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was, um, it was, um, incredible. Like I said, the warmth, welcome. The next morning, we're jogging together and, um, Mike was an incredible runner. We jogged for a mile, then he took off like a gazelle. And I was still feeling so confident. I, I, I just looked at him and I thought, I've got your measure. Yeah. You know, I really believed it. 
come back to the house after our run, rested up, bit of breakfast, get ready then to go to the gym mid-afternoon. And suddenly all these big powerhouses of men appeared. They were in a different part of the, the grounds and um, we were in the main house. We were boys. Mike at the whole top of the house. His, his room was incredible, mm. right? <laughs> and he used to sit on the exercise bike and watch the fo footage. And uh, just wonderful memories. And anyway, um, we're getting onto the minibus to get out to the gym. And these men were walking very somber. You know, I'm a boy, happy as Larry, full of the joys of life, thinking I got his measure. Yeah. But these men knew what was coming. I didn't. Stupid Paddy here didn't have a clue what was coming, <laughs> you know. So I got onto the minibus, travelled down to the gym, got into the gym, got bandaged up, shadow boxing, warming up. And then Cuss went, right, glove up. I'm looking around, well, where's Mike? And then I look into the ring and he's pacing the ring in a pair of shorts with his shirts off. I'd never seen a physique on a 17-year-old boy like it in my life. Mm. I hadn't seen him stripped to the waist. Mm. His neck, his chest, his biceps. When he turned around his back, incredible physique. Yeah. Then Cuss pointed to one of the men to get in. And he was knocked spark out, first punch. And I tell people, I'm not ashamed to say it, I ruined a pair of underpants. I put <laughs> underpants at that moment in time. I shit myself, I kid you not. Oh yeah, straight away. I got the fright of my life, I thought. There's no way a 17-year-old boy should have that power. Yeah. Anyway, they got that sparring partner resourced, brought him out of the ring. Two more got in. Knocked them out. I was number four. I got battered for three minutes. But I stayed on my feet longer than the yeah. three previous sparring partners. And I got out of the ring. A couple more got in and they lasted whatever length of time they lasted. And I was back in again. I'd done another three minutes. I'd done six minutes with him that day. And I got battered. But mm. the madness in me, because I do believe to fight, you've got to have a little bit of madness mm. in you, you know. And some have more madness than others. But the madness that was in me, I believed I'm going to get the better of you one day. I never did. Mm. I stayed on with it for two years and I loved every moment of it. Yeah. Like I said, he made me cry so many times. But the friendship that we built at the time has still stood the test of time. Yeah. And it will. 40 years later. 40 years later, Amazing. we still laugh and joke together, Amazing. you know. And one day, one day, he said to me this particular day, after 22 years of friendship, we were together. And he said, how's your mother doing, Joe? I said, she's not so good, Mike. She's a lump removed from her neck. My Uncle Brian died. My brother at 47 with cancer. And he wasn't even a smoker. My mum was a smoker. So I said, I'm a bit worried about this lump, Mike. He said, let's go and see her mother, Joe. So we landed in Dublin. It was hysteria. Incre I bet. Oh, my what God. What year was this then, oh, God. roughly? I can't remember. In the 2000s? 22. Um, so that would be 18 years ago. So, so t uh, early, two th early 2000s. Yeah. Mid-2000s, okay. So, because wow. I was backwards and forwards to America, even though I wasn't boxing. So wasn't he, wasn't he banned from coming in the UK? But it was 2012. Like they changed the law in 2012. Did they? And he was in the UK in the 2012, because I was with him with Scott Welch. And uh, they changed the law. Anybody with a four-year four or more sentence can't come into the UK. Mike's got a six-year sentence, which is it's wrong to do that to the man. Yeah. He served his time. Yeah. You can't keep punishing people. Yeah. If you punish them for doing a crime... And I think there was it was wrong what, what they'd done to him. What'd they do to him? They'd done him for a charge, yeah. you know. 
And um, I was a character witness for that case. Desiree Washington, she was a Sunday school teacher, teaching children the principles and morals of life. Yeah. He was judging a Miss Black Beauty pageant. And he was a big star. Yeah. And she went to a married man's room. Right. Right. All oh, right, a married man with the reputation as a womanizer. Yeah. She wasn't a principled woman because why would you go to a married man's room? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're teaching children the principles and morals of life. You know, so she went to his room. Um, she was out dancing the next day. She was bragging to her friends that she was Mike Tyson's new girl. And he walked in to the club with another beautiful black lady. Yeah. And she was scorned. Right. And her roommates laughed at her. And she felt that she'd been used. Being used is a big difference yeah. to being, yeah. you know. And um, he he got done by a lady judge called Patricia Gifford. And um, shortly before that case, um, one of the Kennedys was after beating charge. And mm -hmm. I think that if they'd have let Mike off, the Kennedy case would have been dragged up again. What was it feeling like when you brought Mike to Dublin? Incredible. What year roughly we talking? Oh, God. Did you uh, say anyway, but 20, 22 years after speaking to my mum. Anyway, we landed in yeah, Dublin. Yeah. We landed in Dublin. And um, me and Scott, Mike, my wife, she was my wife at the time, yeah. my wife now. And um, we landed in Dublin. And um, we got picked up in the Hummer. Um, Jerry Hutch <laughs> yeah. um, um, picked us up in the Hummer. There was hysteria in Dublin I Airport. Bet, I bet. And, uh, Did they I, know he was coming in? Did, was the yeah, the word had gone round. The okay. word had gone round. And what were you getting him in for? Just, just to see my mum. Wow. He was visiting my mum because Amazing. she wasn't well. They'd been speaking on the phone for 22 years and they'd never met. So now she's not well. So she'd been released from hospital because there was the um, MRSA bug was yeah. in the hospital and she couldn't mind herself. So she went to her sister's house, uh, my auntie Linda. And the housing estate where my auntie's house was, was the housing estate where my family had been evicted from. Right. Um, so to walk onto that housing estate, I'll tell you about that eviction, Dodge. Mm. People think that Joe Egan's life is incredible. Yes, I've had a, I've had a good life. I've had a hard life. Yeah. You know, I've had to endure things that I've been shot a couple of times. I've been stabbed a few times. I built the royalty out of respect. I built the no man out of fear. Yeah. And even the shirt I wear, there's two spellings of the word fear. The fighter spells fear, face everything and rise. The person that doesn't want to fight spells it, forget everything and run. run yeah. You know, and I've been a fighter all my life. Mm. Win, lose, or draw. Mm. I'll fight. Do you understand? Mm. I'll, 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 give, I'll give it a go. Mm. I won't I won't be bullied and lay down. Yeah. And um, when we were kids, me and my brothers, um, we used to buy a bag of logs for £1.50 and we chopped the logs into sticks and we get the inner tube of a car and we'd cut the inner tube of a car across like that and make a big elastic band and put the elastic band around the bundle of sticks and we'd sell this bundle of sticks for 25 pence. So we would make £7.50 mm. out of £1.50 mm. bag of logs. And me and my two brothers done that for, for a couple of years, mm. little boys mm. making a few bob, a few pence. Mm. But then the council said that we were running a business from the council house and they put the rent up to maximum rent and they backdated it for two years. Oh. And they said we owed them £6,000 in arrears for rent. Little boys cutting, just chopping sticks. So when my dad came back from, 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 from England working, he said, no, this isn't right. 
So he, he fought against the council and in the courts. And I was away at 16, boxing in Denmark. And the, the council made an example of my family because my dad had stood up to the to the council, yeah. which were bullies as well. Yeah. You know, they've since been proven that they were all in the wrong. And um, they evicted my family. I didn't know this was happening. I was in Denmark boxing in Eschberg and Copenhagen. And um, I'm ringing home after my fights and I can't get an answer on the phone. So I rang my nana and I said, nana, I can't get an answer on the phone. Somebody's in, six brothers and sisters and yeah. my dad home and my mum there. My nana started crying. She said, your mum's all right. She's not going to die. She'll live. And I said, what are you about, Nana? She said, your mum's tried to kill herself. I said, no, no. My mum wouldn't do that. My mum's the happiest woman in the world. But what had happened is the bailiffs had four days of battles trying to get into my, my family home. And some of my dad's friends, Mickey Hudson, Brian Murray, Mac O'Connor, Matty Dunphy, Friends that were my dad's pals used to play the card games in when he'd come home from mm. England. They all fought in the house against the bailiffs mm. for four days and four nights. I didn't know this was happening. And after four days and four nights, my mom just took a breakdown. And she... She cut her wrists. And she... She stuck a knife in her <laughs> <in her> stomach. <sighs> anyway, she survived, but she tried to kill herself because it was just too much. So when I landed back in Dublin and got picked up by the minibus, I got dropped to the bottom of the road where I lived. And the, the TD at the time, which is like an MP in England, is a member of the government, Michael Sean Moore. He fought for my family because what was going on was wrong. They've since named that road Sean Moore Road. So I, I got dropped at the bottom of that road and had my suitcase and my sports bag. And I ran, ran that road and came round. It was a big wall. We were number six, Bremen Grove. And my dad was sitting on a rocking chair outside minding our belongings that had been turfed out onto the street. All my boxing trophies all broke up. But after four days, the bailiffs couldn't get in. So the police were called in, the Garda. But my grandfather was a sergeant in the Garda. And my dad had respect for the police, same as I have respect for yeah. the police. You know... They have to be there. The police have to be there because otherwise we'd have anarchy. I don't like seeing them in my rearview mirror, but I know they have to be there, you know. So there was a front page picture of the chief of the guard shaking hands with my dad because they didn't want to be doing this. Yeah. They didn't want to be doing this. We were a good family. My dad was a good man. Anyway, draw my case, draw my sports bag, and I ran, brace my dad. All, all my boxing trophies all smashed. And um, my brothers and sisters were in family friends' houses because they were young. They would have been put into homes. Anyway, um, it was proven later on that it was a wrong thing to do. My dad had been 
in the right, they were wrong. Well, kids chopping sticks. Yeah. But you can't turn back time. And, and um, anyway, that was the housing estate that Mike Tyson was walking onto me with me all them years later. Brilliant. My auntie had um, a house on that housing estate. And we walked onto that housing estate, me and one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. <laughs> and it was like, just an incredible feeling. We, we actually, I showed Mike the house we were evicted from. I've apologised to my brothers and sisters that I wasn't there. But they say, you're away boxing for your country, you're away boxing mm. for your city, you know, and you're doing us so proud. I probably wouldn't have made much difference being there, but it was horrible for them to go through that. Yeah. Because when my dad was away working, I was like the man of the, the dad, house. The dad of the house. I was yeah. the man of the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was the older brother. Anyway, and now on this house and estate with Mike, with, with Scott and Ruth, and um, in my auntie's house, there was a gang of my friends, some of the men that had fought with my dad, they were there, mm. you know? Mike knew the story and I introduced them. It's like he knew them yeah. because he'd grown up listening to these stories. Anyway, um, Mike embraced my mum. And this is a man that can break bones with punches. Mm. Shut your jaw, shut your ribs, break you in half with a punch. And he's embracing a fragile woman. And it was beautiful mm. to see. I was so, it was, it was just wonderful. And they started talking about birthdays. And Mike's birthday is the 30th of June. My mum's birthday was the 12th of July. And they're both of the same birth sign, cancer. And Mike said, Mrs. Egan, he said, I remember on my 18th birthday, which was 22 years previous, because we were together when we were 17. Mm. He said, I remember on my 18th birthday, he said, you sent me over a birthday present, a shoebox full of potato chips, Irish tato crisps. This is on the internet, Mike right? talking this, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Irish tato crisps. He says some sweatshirts. There would have been secondhand sweatshirts mm. and some money in an envelope. It would have been very little money. Mm. And my mum said to Mike, you remember that, Mike? He said, yes, I remember it, Mrs. Egan. He said, very few people have given me anything in my life. Yes, I remember it. Scott Welch got choked up. Ruth got choked up. They walked out of the room. I broke down crying and Mike looked at me, excuse my, my swearing, I don't swear much. But Mike went, Joe motherfucker, you're always crying. Because he made me cry so many times, <laughs> battered me. Yeah. I'm sorry I, I got emotional on mm. hell today. I do cry a lot, Dutch, you mm. know. But um, he embraced me and my mum. And I just thought to myself, this man could have been a billionaire athlete remembering a couple of packets of crisps, yeah. a couple of pounds in an envelope and a couple of second-hand sweatshirts yeah. 22 years before. I couldn't remember what I got 22 years ago. And yeah. I'm sure you couldn't remember mm -hmm. what you got 22 mm -hmm. years ago. But it showed what it meant to this man. And I love him dearly, yeah. you know. He has had a sad introduction to this world. Mm -hmm. He's had a hard life. And I've had a hard life. Mm -hmm. But I don't envy his life. Mine is probably tame in comparison to what he's had to live. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's become the heavyweight champion of the world, but he's had to endure the sadness, the horrors, mm. you know, growing up as a child in Brownsville. That's tough, isn't it? <sighs> Jesus. 
he saw a man hanging at 10 years of age as a child. Any 10-year-old child finding a man yeah. hanging is going to traumatise him. But Mike, Mike, he's a warrior and a half. How different is he inside of the ring to outside of the ring? He's a lovely man outside of When he's yeah. not hitting you, he's lovely. I met him in Vegas about 10 years ago. How did you get on? Lovely. He's great, isn't he? Wicked chap. Isn't he great? Lovely human being. When he's I hit- couldn't believe the size of him. I know he was not training. Well, this is like 10 years ago. Yeah. But you wouldn't think he's been knocking out big men. Are very deceiving. Very deceiving. But it's the speed. The power and the speed. And the power. Jeez. But see, when he's not hitting you, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. You know, when he throws a punch, he throws a punch with bad intentions. Yeah. You know, and for the life of me, you know, even when they describe gunfire, you hear these Americans saying, oh, it's only friendly fire. I don't believe there's anything friendly in a bullet. Mm. And the same as I don't think there's anything friendly in a punch. Mm. You punch somebody, you're throwing it with bad intentions. Yeah. You know. What's so, that feeling like being punched by Mike Tyson? Oh, very painful. <laughs> <laughs> See, if Mike missed you with a punch, you'd yeah. get pneumonia from the draft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he uh, was just so powerful and so fast. But I was fortunate because I wasn't six foot five. The six foot five, six foot six guys would get that extra four or five inch momentum from his uppercut. I seen him lifting powerful men off the floor, big powerhouse men, lifting them like what you see in a cartoon movie, you know, because he'd get that extra four or five inch momentum and he'd bring up that power and his thighs. And he's, he's, he's just leverage mm. was incredible. What were you doing in your twenties, thirties? Did you ever get into trouble with the old Bill? Not, not in my twenties. In your thirties? Yeah. What sort of trouble? I'll tell you what happened, Dodge, right? I've been a good person all my life, yeah. right? I'm not trying to throw a case at myself. No, no, I no. I respect the law. Everyone knows I respect, I respect yeah. the law. Do you understand? Yeah. There has to be rules yeah. and there has to be people to enforce the rules. Yeah. Otherwise, I said earlier on, you'd have anarchy, mm. right? Well, when my boxing career finished. Roughly what age? I was 25. Okay. I had a bad car crash. Did you? Yeah. Bad, bad, bad car, bad, bad car smash up. And, um. Broken bones? Yeah. Smashed knee, smashed jaw, smashed shoulder. And, um, I was after one of my pro fights, actually. Was it? Yeah. I'd, I'd won the fight. I got 64 stitches after the fight. Oof. I got cut across the top of the eye, the side of the eye, across the cheek, the lip. Did you win? Yeah, I won, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah big Carlton Headley went on to be the Gladiator Raider. It was a great fight. Yeah. Incredible fight. Yeah. It was on Dave Boyd McCauley's world title bill. Mm. And to, to box on a world title bill was incredible. Mm. A great Irish champion, Dave Boyd, Dave Boyd McCauley. And I boxed on the bill in the King's Hall. But after the fight, because I was so badly cut and got stitched up mm. and internal stitches and everything, I didn't want to really stay in Belfast. So I went back to Dublin. My sister would organise the coach for family and friends to come up and watch the fight. They went to the after party after the boxing and uh, I'd been stitched up. So three o'clock in the morning, we're going back to Dublin on the coach. Good atmosphere on the coach, my granddad, family and friends and uh, my girlfriend at the time who tragically died three days ago, four days ago. She died last Thursday, God rest her. 51 years of age, Lisa Murphy. We were together for 11 years. I'd known her since she was a child. My auntie, Linda, used to call her that, that Des the drummer. My <laughs> brother Paul died 30 years ago. So for Eileen and Des to bury two children, it's, it's hard. But she, 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 she fought stage four cancer for years. Brave, brave, brave woman. But she died last Thursday. She's out of our pain now. But, um, she was on the coach. She'd come up and, uh, my granddad was, was, was saying goodbye to us because we were getting off the coach at uh, Parnell Square. 
And um, the driver said, I'll drop this to the next set of lights. So he was a walk to the car. And uh, my granddad wasn't going back to the house. He was going home. And then a, an old Mercedes taxi, like a tank of a car, came across the lights, broke the lights, went into a skid, hit us at the, the side of the coach and lifted the coach. My granddad, he fell. I grabbed Lisa, otherwise she'd been thrown against the windscreen of the coach. And she went unconscious in my arms, twisted my knee, damaged the, the bone of my knee, my shoulder, my jaw. But we were after stopping 10 minutes around the corner, yeah. five minutes around the corner to drop a friend of my sister. My sister an accountant and her friend, David Mitchell, who was a doctor. We were after dropping him off on the Dorset Street before we turned onto Parnell Square. Yeah. This is in Dublin. And when... Um, when we had to go to the hospital, this is like four o'clock in the morning, he came on duty at eight o'clock and he'd only left us four hours before and suddenly there's a group of us from the coach in hospital. He couldn't understand what had yeah. happened and we often joked afterwards, if we hadn't stopped to drop you off, we'd have okay. been ahead of that taxi yeah. that broke the lights. Yeah. But luckily enough, nobody died. Mm. The passenger in the taxi was badly wounded and uh, I was badly wounded. My, my, my granddad, he, he was hurt. And that was the point when you and my career's over? Over. You know, what was that feeling and, uh, like? Your horrible, absolutely horrible. Yeah. And my life went downhill okay. fairly fast, you know. And um, I didn't know what to do with my life because everything had been boxing. But I, I spoke to Paddy Finn, who'd retired from boxing because of he'd injury in the back. He'd a trap disc in his back, whatever injuries he had. And he'd come over to the UK to run pubs in Birmingham. So I was in two minds to go back to America or do I stay in the UK? I went to see Paddy Finn and he gave me the opportunity to run his pub. And uh, he sent me on courses. I'd done an MVQ course, mm. two MVQ courses. I'd done a BII certificate, British Institute of Innkeeping. Because I'd left school with two swimming mm. certificates. I had nothing, mm. you know, no really education. I believed the boxing was going to make me my fortune touch. So suddenly now I've got certificates. I was, I was top of the mm. world, you know. And I ran Paddy's pub, the Dubliner pub in Birmingham for two years. And then the opportunity came up to take a pub over in Erdington called the Lindhurst. Now the Lindhurst estate was a, was a tough, hard estate. And, um, there was, um, a pub that was doing a thousand pound a week, mm. but it had a big function room. And me and my business partner, Tommy McGill, we took the pub. I became the licensee. I'd been the licensee of the, the, Lind of yeah. the Dubliner. Never been in trouble in my life with the police, yeah. and uh, honourable discharge from the part-time army in Dublin, and um, I'd work for Delta Airlines as well. In between, I had FAA certificate with Federal Aviation Authority with the, the Delta Airlines. I was working for the airlines when I was boxing pro, and um, so I've, I've, I was a good character, mm. you know. And uh, so we took the Lindhurst September '97, took it from a thousand pounds a week to 16,000 pounds a week. We yeah. built the trade. We had a quiz night on Monday night with um, the darts team, the football team. Mm. We, we really Just brought made, everyone in, community. It was a, yeah, yeah, the boxing community yeah, came lovely. in. We put two mm. tournaments on in the function room. Bunny Johnson came, the former British champion. Mm. Richie Woodall, the former world champion. Mm. Ernie Shavers, the world heavyweight contender. Rob Norton, the world cruiserweight champion. Um, I had Paul Barber, Denzel, I had only fools and horses come, I had a lot of football players come. <laughs> so suddenly this housing estate. Become a hub. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Brilliant. These people on the housing estate were now mixing with celebrities yeah. and the quiz night. They traveled far and yeah. field to come to the quiz night on a Monday night. The staff were wonderful. 
and we were having a great life. But then the racketeers, the parasites on society, mm. they decided on the 19th of July, 1998, that they were going to demand money by menace, protection money. People think this only happens in movies. This happens in mm. real life, Dodge. Mm. And they put a demand on, on, on me and my business partner, who's ex-French Foreign Legion, Medal mm. of Honor winner, soldier and a half. I'm a fighting man. Mm. So we're proud men. Yeah. And they put a demand on the pub for £500 a week. So I said, Tommy said, Joe, let's take it to them. I said, no, Tommy, my, my, my boxing life is over, right? That was my first bite at the apple. This is my second bite at the apple. Yeah. Some people don't get a one bite. That's right. I've now got two, yeah. right? I'm not a vigilante. Yes, I'm a fighting man, but I'm not a vigilante. Let the police deal with this. So the police, all informed. Tommy wasn't happy at the time. But I said, look, Tommy, I'm the licensee. I'm the pillar of the community. Mm. I don't want to be seen as a thug like them, mm. right? This was thuggery. So the police knew what was happening. The following week, on the 26th of July, 1998, the police had an armed response unit ready. They knew what was coming to the pub. 37 men armed with a shotgun, a handgun, hatchets and machete. machetes attacked the pub. I was blessed with a Sunday communion on the function room. But the pub was frequented by boxers, tough guys. Yeah. They used to come in, have their games of pool, have their jo jokes and the laugh about their careers. And one man in particular, a man called Steve Dalton, bravest man I've ever met in my life. He was there that day. His wife, Tina, his sisters, Cathy and, 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 and Lynn, they were in the pub. His family frequented the pub. So when this gang attacked half an hour previous, I got a phone call from a friend of mine to say that these gangs are gathering. Now, this gang had been attacking and burning pubs. They actually burnt down two of Paddy Finn's pubs over the years, right? They were recognised as racketeers, scum. From Birmingham. From Birmingham, mm. yeah. So they were gathering in this pub. I got a phone call to say these gangs are gathering. So I phoned a police officer that was dealing with the case, Sergeant Andy Gilbert. He's now high up in the ranks of the police. A good man, kind, decent police officer. And he said, Joe, I'm on my way to you. He said, I radio the station. I get officers to march through these pubs, disperse this gang. As he was on his way to me, this is fact. I'm not yeah. making this up. Yeah. As he was on his way to me, he got sent on a Mickey Mouse alarm call to the Bromford. Mine was a genuine distress call. They knew that there was men coming to my pub mm. with firearms. They had an armed response unit yeah, ready. Yeah. 30 minutes later, there's 37 men on the car park at my pub with hatchets, machetes, handgun, shotgun. And uh, they attacked the pub. Headlines in the newspaper yeah. after the incident, it said the Braveheart film made the, 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 the attack on the Lindhurst made the Braveheart film look like a Walt Disney movie. Yeah. It was a pitched battle. Blessings of God, nobody died. There was people lost limbs, um, hands chopped, legs chopped. I took two gunshot wounds. Steve Dalton, bravest man I've ever seen in my life. He ran at the bullets. I watched him. I hit behind a wall. Mm. I hit behind a wall. I'm not ashamed to say yeah. it. I got the fright of my life. Yeah. You know, I'd never been in a gun battle. Dalton ran at the, 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 the bullets and took two gunshot wounds. When, when, when I visited him in hospital, he said, I've done it for my wife and she, my wife and my sister, Joe. If they're animals, they'd have got into the pub. So all kids and family were in the booze yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was horrific. The reason I got wounded is because a man called Tim O'Regan, a man that had fought in World War II, stepped out after Dalton had been shot with his hands up, 
He said, I know these boys, I can stop this. And as I stepped out to pull him back in behind the wall, the guy that was doing the shooting, I won't mention his name. Yeah. I won't mention his name. I'm not going to glorify this scumbag, yeah. right? He shot innocent people, unarmed people, right? He's a thug. As Tim O'Regan stepped out with his hands up, I stepped out to pull him in behind the wall and this man was handed a sawn-off shotgun because he threw the handgun on the floor after firing three shots from the handgun. Two of the bullets had hit my friend Dalton. He threw the handgun down, it jammed, and he threw it on the floor and he was handed a sawn-off shotgun and he blasted Tim O'Regan into the hip. He blew the hip clean out of a man that had fought in World War Two. An Irish man that fought in the British Army in World War Two, survived World War Two, to get shot on the Lindhurst estate by a low life, right? So as he he got hit in the hips with the shotgun pellets, some of them hit me around the arms and stuff, and it was probably the most horrific stench I'd ever smelt in my life. The smell of burning skin, yeah. my skin, Tim O'Regan's skin, Steve Dalton's skin, in the foyer of the Lindhurst pub, a confined space. And to smell this, it was a horrific, mm. burning skin stench. Anyway, um, after the battle, I had to go to hospital, I was badly wounded. And How long did this battle go on for? 30 minutes. <sighs> 55 oh minutes before the first policeman arrived. Police station 600 yards down the road. They didn't want to know. <sighs> Disappointed, let down. You and understand? this was all because you were standing your ground saying, I'm not giving you a month. I got an away. email. I got I'm not giving you 500 I got an away. email from Andy Gilbert afterwards. I've still got the email. And he said, Joe, he said, I'm sorry that you didn't get the service you deserved on the day. And I'm sorry that your life spiraled out of control afterwards. My life went downhill very, very fast. Very, very fast after that. What happened to that boozer? Closed down? No, it's gone now. No, no, afterwards. Afterwards, we, we, we kept it on. Did it scare people going back into the boozer? The, the trade the, must have the dropped. Public, the public supported me yeah. because this gang that had attacked were recognised racist, yeah. you know, part of the, the, the Combat 18, yeah. you know, part of the, the so-called National Front. Mm. I had a lot of black people frequent my pub, mm. you know. the Some of the black men that stood with me that day, Warren Wigan, Danny Brown, GT, Lurch, you know, powerful proud black men, mm. you know, Xboxers, personal friends of mine. Mike Tyson invited him down to the hotel when he was over at the box. And I brought these men and women that had stood with me down to meet Mike. And he thanked them personally, yeah. Dalton in particular, for putting their lives on the line for his brother, Joe. This is fact. Yeah. You know, I'm not making this up. Yeah. They'd presented Mike and Tom Patty at a dinner in the Hilton Hotel in Birmingham, presented Steve Dalton a gift in front of a 1,500 audience. But he'd already thanked them at the, the hotel in London mm. when Mike was over preparing to fight uh, uh, Lou Savarese and Julius Francis on two yeah. occasions. You know, and these guys, they couldn't believe yeah, that Mike. Yeah. And he said in front of them, any more trouble at your pub, Joe, and I'm landing. <laughs> and they were like, you know, I said, he's my yeah, friend, yeah. you know. But... We kept the pub going for a, for a few years afterwards, me and my business partner. We never hit the heights of what we'd originally hit, but we kept it going. What was that Because feeling? I tell you the reason why, yeah, Dodge, because yeah, yeah. see if I hadn't have kept it going. They would have won. They would have won. Yeah, I agree. Do you understand? I so agree. I kept it going. We went from, I remember my accountant, Ken Pritchard, he said to me, he kept my spirits high. Mm. He said, Joe, see when you took the pub at a thousand pound and he said, you hit Four and a half thousand pounds. How did you feel? I said, euphoric. Mm. He said, well, it's gone from 16,000 
back down to four and a half. Still Hasn't good. gone back to the thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So get that feeling again yeah. of how you felt when you hit the four and a half mm. first time round. Mm. But at that stage, we were needing £6,000 to break even mm. because we'd, we'd employed more staff. Um, we were doing more things with the entertainment. Yeah. So for the first few weeks, we've been closed for weeks. The police closed us. Mm. The uh, chief constable insisted that I made safety um, to the pub. I had to put crash barriers up, shutters, cameras, because he said, this gang has a reputation of burning down um, venues. So we had to make this pub. It was a fortress, you know, which wasn't very appealing on the eye, but we still built the trade back up. How did you feel afterwards? Were you thinking revenge? Was there people around you? My business partner, like I said, ex-French Foreign Legion, he was he was disappointed that we didn't take it to them. I was a little bit disappointed after being let down by the police that we didn't take it to them. But um, like I said, nobody died, right? It was it was um, a band of brothers that day and sisters. Did they uh, ever come back again? No, they didn't. No. no Did they you, didn't. How, how paranoid were you after that? I, I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that they hadn't got courage like that to come back. Okay. They they got beat on that day. Mm. They were just bullies, you know. And when you beat a bully, they don't come back. Are you, are you telling me they brought thirty seven men? Thirty seven, yeah. Jesus. March to High Street, March Sutton Road. Just because because you didn't give them five hundred quid a week. Five hundred pound a week. Was there nothing else? Nothing else underbelly or was there undercurrent around this? No. It was purely you didn't give a monkey money. a week. They were getting protection money from different pubs in the area. That's fact, right? Like I said, are they, they still are they are these lot still alive today? Yeah. 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 Have you ever seen any of them no. since that day? No. No. How would how would you be if you saw the top men? Um, I don't really want to say on air. Okay, but let me tell you something now, for what it's worth. See if they tell me today, I've got a terminal illness. Yeah. See the man that shot me, he's dying tomorrow. Yeah. Right. That's fact. And I look on the camera and I say that you're dead tomorrow. Mm. If they tell me I've got a terminal illness today, I carry this. I carry this. In my heart, and it's a hard thing to do to swallow your pride, right? He's an evil, evil, evil man, mm. right? One of the gang leaders, one of the gang leaders that actually killed his best friend, stuck a sword clean through his best friend. This is fact. I'm not making this up. Stuck a sword clean through his best friend, killed his best friend. So what chances people that they got that don't like, mm. right? And um, my life has been hard, Dodge. Mm. My life has been hard. I've had a hard life. I've had battles all my life. But I'd never bow down to a bully. Yeah. I'd never bow down to a bully. And I won't bow down to a bully. Right? I won't bow down to a bully. Mm. And that's what they are, bullies. Mm. Right? But see, when you've got to swallow your pride, it's a horrible thing yeah. to do. It's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. You know? And I'm as proud a man as any man on this planet. But these were pure evil on the day. And you've but been I, carrying this around for 25 years, 20 odd years plus. Listen, there's evil around us. Society is full of evil, you know. Society is full of evil. He's an evil man. Mm. You had no mask. You had no mask that day. Yeah. The rest of the gang were balaclavas and scarves all around their face. But I knew who they were, you know. I knew who they were. Mm. But the guy that done the shooting had no mask. I've never said his name, and I won't say his name on air, because I'm not going to glorify him. Even in my book, I called him Jack Welch, right? Because... Five people went to identify him after the shooting and he walked free after 36 hours. 
and the sergeant that phoned me, Vicky Seville, phoned me, Sergeant Vicky Seville, a beautiful lady that had been wounded in gun battles. She phoned me. She said, Joe, I'm ever so sorry to inform you, but we're going to have to let this man go after 36 hours. When I was arrested after the battle, I was held for 48 hours. The man had done the shooting, walked free after 36 hours. And Vicky Seville said to me, she said, Joe, you look out for yourself. You be careful. I said, they're not coming back, Vicky. Mm. They're not coming back, right? I had a few threats over the phone. I had a few threats over the phone because that's about the strength of them, you know, like most bullies. Yeah. They take a paste in, they're not coming back near you, mm. you know. Stand up to bullies. And I've stood up to them all my life and mm. I encourage people to stand up to them. How did your life spiral out of control post Well, what this? happened, happened, shouldn't have happened, but because I got charged with attempted murder, all I've done was defend myself. That's all I've done. On a different occasion? No, the same occasion. Oh, the same, you yeah. I got charged with attempted murder, yeah. I beat the charges. Headlines in the newspaper, justice prevails. I beat the charges. All I done was defend myself. Yeah. Right? At the time, the brewery were trying to evict me because they said I wasn't a fit and proper person for running their pub. All I done was stand up for, for my community yeah. in the pub. And then I had a few issues in, in Ireland that I was defending as well over a property. So I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for a house in Ireland that I own. I'm fighting the brewery for a roof that I got over my head in the UK and I'm fighting a charge of attempted murder. So I wasn't getting legal aid. Yeah. I sold everything I had. I sold my watch that my mum and dad got me for my 18th birthday. I sold my ring that got me for my 21st. I sold my leather jacket. I sold my car. I sold everything I had to get legal fees. When I ran out of money, a guy that frequented the pub, a guy called Robbie Weaver, his nickname was Robbie Box, he used to come into the pub, he was a car dealer. We had an old folks home next door. And we had people coming in from the old folks home. I had a man turn 100 and 101 <laughs> in my pub. Mm. He used to come in with his son. His son was about 80. But the nurses and the carers used to bring these old people into my pub. And we'd have the drink so cheap. I don't even think we're making any money, breaking yeah. even. But it was just lovely to do mm. this for old war veterans, people that had survived the wars. And it was just lovely. But this car dealer used to come in. He was like a, a Dell boy, Jack the Lad. And he'd buy drinks and... I thought he was a nice enough guy, but as it turned out, he was a rogue. Mm. And he said, Joe, he said, um, can I park stolen cars in your car park? Now, at that stage, I was so low, so scared of what was happening to me in my life because it was going down the, 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 the drain so fast. Were you boozing as well at the I don't time? drink. I don't drink oh, alcohol. Don't drink? I don't touch alcohol. I'm an Irish man that doesn't drink. My dad used to say, Son, you're a failure as an Irishman. It's expected of the paddies to drink. I don't drink alcohol. Wow. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I've never took drugs. I don't gamble. Wow. I've worked all my life. Yeah. Even when I was boxing pro, I worked three three jobs. Yeah. I worked the door in the pub. I worked the door in the nightclub and I worked for the airlines. Boxing professional. Yeah. So now my life has gone down the drain fast to go from never being in trouble to charge with attempted murder, mm. battling for a house in Ireland that I own, battling for a, a roof over my head in Birmingham. So when he gave me the opportunity to park stolen cars on my car park, I would have let him park tanks on my car park. Yeah. I was so desperate. And I was desperate. I regret doing it. And and I live with the shame for the rest of my life. Mm. And I am ashamed of it. But I got involved in a crime because I needed money. Yeah. And the man that, 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 that gave me the opportunity to do the crime, he eventually went police evidence and he set us up. And I got sent to prison. I originally got two and a half years, but because I'd beaten the West Midlands police in a previous case, they wanted to punish me. 
and they tried to increase the two and a half year sentence to seven years. For what? For just having stolen cars on your drive? For and cars, and the boozer. For stolen cars on the car park. Surely it should have been not. a slap on the wrist Surely in the community not. service, yeah. but they wanted to make an example of me. So they tried to increase the two and a half years to seven years. They increased it to four. See, when you're inside and they give you more time, it is a kick in the ghoulies, yeah. like, you know. But the shame that I had was, like I said earlier in this interview, all I ever wanted to do was to do my daddy proud. Mm. And the only time I'd ever saw my dad cry in my life was when his dad died and I was a little boy. Yeah. And I came home from school, half past four, me and my two brothers. And my mum was in the hallway, pacing the hallway. She said, get up the bed, get up the bed. I said, mum, it's only half past four. Batman's on at five. She got up the bed. So Connolly went to his bedroom and I sat on the stairs looking down through the banisters with my arm around my brother Emmett. My dad came in from work at six o'clock. That hour and a half was like, just never, it was like, it wasn't ending. Yeah. That hour and a half, when my dad came in, because I was so scared to see my mum like this, yeah. agitated and pacing the floor. So when my dad came in, she spoke to my dad in the hallway and I saw him hold his head in his hands and cry. And I got the fright of my life. I'm cradling my brother. I'm like watching my daddy cry. Mm. I'd never seen him cry before. He's the hardest man on the planet. He don't cry. Mm. But as it turned out, his daddy had died. And I didn't know what was going on. And I watched my dad break down and, and, and cry. When we found out what had happened, it was very, very sad. Wind the clock on. I'm on trial. I felt guilty of a crime I was guilty of. Ashamed to say, I looked up to the gallery and my dad, it was like deja vu. He had his head in his hands, crying. And I felt sick, mm. even now, mm. telling you, don't you, I still feel sick to think that what I did made him cry mm. and had the same effect on him as when his daddy died. And I'm ashamed. I've never been in trouble since and I will never get into trouble again. Do you understand? Mm. Because it made him cry. Mm. How old were you when you went into prison? 30, 35. When I, when mm. I, I served two and a half years. I served two and a half what years. Prisons Sorry, I in? served two years. Excuse me. I served two years. What prisons were you I've done three prisons. I've done... Blakenhurst, then they shipped me to Layhill, and then they shipped me to York Range. I saved a man's life in prison, you know, so that was something good. What was that like for you, being a honest, hard grafter? I wasn't honest at the time, because I'd no, done no, wrong. No, no, but you'd done wrong, but you're an and honest, I got, I got hard grafter, to prison. been brought up very well, you've been had a tough life. All of a sudden, you found yourself 35, no boxing, lost your boozer, manslaughter charges, everything on you. He's bubbled you up for having nicked cars on the drive all of a sudden your life must have been like what is going on it was horrible yeah it was horrible but while I was in prison I made the most of my time there like I said I saved a man's life an officer that had a heart attack I was in the St John's Ambulance Brigade when I was a kid so mm. I know a bit of first aid and I set the alarm the security team came and the OST officer who'd been a soldier fought in the wars doing part time work to, to subsidise his pension and I helped keep the man alive. And I got a commendation letter from the governor. Him, I got a commendation letter from the governor. And I helped a few prisoners when I was inside. Um, guys that were, 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 were suffering mm. mentally, you know. I suffered myself, but I was stronger mentally than what they were. Yeah. And I was helped carry them. And uh, I had a couple of nice jobs while I was in the jail. One of them in the gym, Audley. And um, 
I got myself fit. Mm. So when I came out of prison, I made the comeback into boxing. That's all I knew how to do was At the age time. of? 37. 37. And there was a big write-up in the boxing news. It said, George Foreman makes the comeback after 10 years. Big Joe Egan makes the comeback after 12 years. <laughs> to get mentioned in the same paragraph yeah, as one of legend. the greatest heavyweights of all time yeah. was such an honour, mm. such a, an honour, a privilege mm. to have my name mentioned in a paragraph mm. alongside him. You know, I've got photographs on my phone of Barry McGuigan queuing mm. with Shane at my book launch with Mike Tyson. Is that right? Mike Tyson launched my book in Canary Wharf. I'll show you afterwards, Did guys. He? Mike Tyson launched my book in Canary Wharf. I met Cass Pennant at a, at a, at a Joe Fraser Cass, dinner. another West Ham fan. I met Cass yeah. at a Joe Fraser dinner. I knew who Cass was because mm. my nephew Tom is a West Ham fan. Yeah. So half joking, half old and earnest, I said to Cass, you might write a book about me. He said, let me see what you got to say today, Joe. And I spoke afterwards. He said, if you can get Mike Tyson involved in this book, we'll give it a go. Phone Mike. Mike was in Brazil. And he said to Cass, anything for my brother, Joe. Mike did the forward for my book, came to launch my book in Canary Wharf, brought Canary Wharf to a standstill. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people queued overnight. I know everybody was there for Mike Tyson, yeah. but he was there for me. Yeah. And it was one of the most incredible days of my life. What a feeling. Joe. Unbelievable. What a feeling. Unbelievable. Mate, I'm going to get Mike Tyson in. While I'm signing my book, as my right sat beside me, sat beside me, <laughs> and signed my book. I can with several world champions in attendance: That's Paul Suki Jones, Charlie Magri, Alan Minter. Uh, Alan Minter, what oh, a fighter! Steve Steve Collins came yeah. to the book launch, but Barry McGuigan queued <laughs> with the normal people. And when he got to the front of the queue, I've jumped up. Mike Tyson jumped. I've gone Barry McGuigan. Barry stood back. I got the photo. Show you the photographs yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And then Mike Tyson embraced him, cornering him round. And Mike Tyson said to Barry, you're Barry McGuigan, what are you queuing for? But it shows you the humble, humbleness yeah. of the man. Yeah. Shane was just in awe. That's just my dad. I went, your dad is Barry McGuigan. Yeah. That's the word yeah, of Barry's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike asked him to come back to the hotel so we could have a private audience mm. with Barry. And I said to Barry, I told you, Barry, all them years ago, yeah. that this man adores you, mm. adores you. Mm. And Barry didn't believe it. I said, I told you, Barry, I don't tell yeah. lies, yeah. you know. But Barry Q, and I got the photographs on my phone. What a feeling, John. You know, incredible, incredible, <laughs> incredible feeling. But the thing is, right, my life has been a roller coaster. Yeah. But I tell people, it's just my analogy of life, yeah. that when you're on a heart monitor, I've been on a life support machine, I was five days on a life support machine, three days in a coma in North Carolina. First place they ever had a life, I see, um, an ICU unit. Hold on, hold on. You were in a coma for three yeah, days? three days, yeah. Why? Yeah. What? When? Uh, just, Who? It was just another another incident in my life. Go on. I won't go down that road. I won't tell you. But it's, I, was, I was five days. How naughty was that incident? No, I was five, five days in intensive care in North Carolina. Okay. Three days in a coma. I've had run-ins with the Grim Reaper many, many times in my life. He hasn't took me yet. I've fought him off a few times, <laughs> right? But it will come to one day. Yeah. One day it's going to come to us all. Yeah. The only short thing in life tragically is death. That's right. You know, you've got to live each day as if it's your last. Yeah. Every day is a gift from God. Yeah. That's why it's called the present. Yeah. I believe in God. I pray every day. Mm. You understand? I don't force my beliefs onto anybody. Mm. But see, when the shit hits the fan for people and it hits the fan for people regular, yeah. what's the first thing that they say? God help me. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. And I believe whether you call him Allah, whether you call him Buddha, whether you call him God. There's thousands of denominations. There's only one true God. Yeah. And we have to respect him in the proper way and mm. respect others. Mm. And I respect everybody's religion. Mm. Right? I don't preach mine mm. to everybody. I just say what I believe. You mentioned earlier that um, when Mike flew into Dublin, yeah. you had your mate Hutch. 
pick him up. Jared Hutchie pick him up in the in the Hummer. Yeah. What's the what's the big feud with the Kinnahans and the Hutches over the years? Why is I'm that? I'm friends. I'm friends with both sides, and it's sad to see because these people were all friends. But it's the world that they're in, and in the world that they're in, they've had disputes, and in the world that they're in, it doesn't resolve in in in, in punch ups. It's the gun. Yeah. And tragically and sadly, there's people died on both sides. Friends of mine have died on both sides. I've tried my level best to keep the peace. You understand? But I'm hoping that it's over now. Yeah. I'm praying that it's over now because I don't want to see any more. No. Of someone, like I said, boyhood friends yeah. die, you know, and um, it's just sad. I don't know the full ins and outs of mm. what's going on. It's just horrible what, to see. What happened on that day on the 5th of February 2016 at the Regency Hotel? Were you there? No. 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 no what happened no, that day? I don't know the full incident, no. but I know that there was... Uh, was it a load of boxers in the hotel? Yeah, there was a weigh-in, boxing weigh-in. Yeah, there was a boxing weigh-in. But I'd rather not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'd rather not talk about that. There's uh, friends of mine on both sides. Even yeah. the boy that was killed that day, David Byrne, he was my good friend. I know David's dad. I know his brother Liam. You know, I've been out to visit David's grave. I didn't go to the funeral. But he was my friend, you know, and 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 some of the guys that done the shooting, I know their families. And I've I've cried over David's death. Yeah. His father Jaws, I know, since I'm a little boy. You know, and um it's just it's just sad. But uh well, what, before we were saying that, we, we, we were. I want to. I want to find out that day. What happened that day with you confronting you going head to head with Tim Witherspoon? Oh, that's that's that's, that's that? a stupid incident. What was that about? No, it was a stupid incident. Yeah, that should never have happened. No, that should never have never happened. Tim's my friend. Yeah, Tim's been my friend a lot of years. Tim's stayed in my home. Yeah, you know, my wife's cooked dinner for him. Mm. I've sat beside him many many times at dinner with him. He's my friend, but Tim was looking for some extra work. Yeah. And I found a pal of mine, Scott Murray. The tour was meant to be Ken Norton and George Chuvalo. Mm. Ken sadly got wounded. Yeah. He since died. He couldn't travel. So they sent over Tommy Morrison, who since died, and Tony TNT Tucker and George Chuvalo. Mm. So I found Scott Murray, former heavyweight champion, who has bar sports in Canada. I said, Scott, can you give Tim a bit of work? He said, yeah, Joe, of course. He said, I'll give him a £1,000 to come on the night, have his photographs took. I phoned Tim. I said, look, Tim, come on the night. Stay in my house. I said, and uh, come on the night. Get your photographs. Took thousand pounds. Mm. Oh, great, Joe. So Tim came into Birmingham the night before. Didn't stay in my house. Went out clubbing. Got drunk. Met a young lad that suddenly became his agent. Yeah. So Tim's arrived on the night. A few drinks in him with this young lad who's now Tim's agent. Yeah. They're having the photographs took. Tommy Morrison, great champion. Tony Tinti took a great champion. George Chufalo, an incredible fighter, George Chufalo. And I'm standing alongside these great champions and Tim as well. Mm. I'm so humbled and honoured to be with this illustrious yeah. company. I was only an Irish champion. I was only a sparring partner mm. to Mike Tyson. I was nothing special. Very, very poor as a matter of fact mm. compared to their mm. ability. So the young guy that Tim was with said, Tim, these guys are paying for photographs. Where's your money for the photograph? So Tim stepped away. Where's my money for the photograph? Mm. So I said, Tim, Tim, calm down. 
You've been paid money to have your photograph took. Tommy Morrison, Tony Tinsley Tucker, George Chivallo looked at him. Tim has stepped away and he's raised his voice and he's getting very leery. Yeah. So I thought to myself, right, I'm a fighting man. If I stand back and he hits me with that right hand, mm. two-time heavyweight champion of the world, he's going to decapitate me. He would knock me out with that right mm. hand. So I thought my best chance is to step in. I'm not a tug, but I thought if it's going to go to blows, to give myself the best chance, step in close. He's a bigger, more powerful man than me. But if I step in close, I've got a fighting chance. Yeah. That's all we ask for in life is a fighting chance. So I stepped in and I said, Tim, behave yourself. You're in the wrong here. Luckily enough, he realized at that moment in time, mm. he was in the wrong. And he stepped back and he said, okay. I was so glad that he stepped back. Mm. I might have come second that day, but I'd have given an account of myself. Yeah. But we've been friends for a lot of years and we're still friends to this day. It shouldn't have happened. Mm. He was out of order and he knows that he was out of order. The young kid had fired him up, yeah. saying what's going on. Yeah. And... Um, it was just a bit disrespectful. Mm. But like I said, Tim had drink on him. People make mistakes with drink the on him. Inside, yeah. You know, I, I don't drink alcohol, so yeah. I don't know what's going on in the mind of mm. somebody full of drink. Mm. But he's my pal, and that shouldn't have happened. And I'm so glad that he didn't come to blows. Yeah, same. But, um, but he was an incredible champion of the world, Tim. Doesn't get the recognition he mm. deserves as a great champion, but what an incredible mm. fighter. What was it like getting in the ring with Lennox Lewis? Oh, it was an incredible feeling because Lennox was number two in the world yeah. at the time. And I'd, I'd boxed, um, in the New York City Golden Gloves. I'd, I'd won the New York State Golden Gloves and I boxed in the New York City Golden Gloves and I got beat in the New York City Golden Gloves by a fighter called uh, Sinclair Bab. I'd sparred with him in Lake Placid training on the New York team and, uh, I felt that his measure. But on the night of the fight in, uh, the amateurs, the occasion got to my head and, uh, he beat me. Madison Square Garden Xanax of the garden and I thought I'll win this fight I'm in the main garden and I was thinking of the next fight my dad said to me one fight at a time <laughs> don't be thinking of the next fight <laughs> but I thought because I'd been sparring with him and beating him in sparring that I could beat him in the fight mm. but he was better on the night mm. and he beat me and he won the New York City Golden Gloves in the next round of the championships he got he got knocked out by a man called Camulo Doom who went on to win the American title mm. and fought against Canada as an American champion mm. and got knocked out by Lennox Lewis. So now the Canadian All-Stars are boxing the New York All-Stars, state and city. Mm. Sinclair Bab wouldn't fight because he'd been knocked out by a man that had been knocked out by Lennox Lewis. Mm. So now the star of the Canadian team hasn't got an opponent. The star of the New York team was a guy called Frankie Lyles who went on to win the World Super Middleweight title. So the two stars of the Canadian and New York team went on to shine as world champions. So they were struggling for an opponent for Lennox, 1985. <laughs> so I said, I'll fight him. They said, Joe, the man that beat you got knocked out by the man that got knocked out by Lennox Lewis. Mm. But I said, I wasn't knocked out. And I said, I've been taking Mike Tyson's punishment. If I can take Mike Tyson's punishment psychologically, I believe I can take anybody's punishment. Yeah. I have a good chin. I've got strong ties. I've only ever been put down twice in my career. Mm. Once I got up, the other time I didn't. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got stopped. I, I, I did get up, but I couldn't fight on. Yeah. You know, so both times getting put down, I got up. Once I went on to win, once I didn't. But I got beat on my feet. And a couple of times I've been put onto the ropes, mm. bounced off the ropes, punished, but didn't go down. The two times I went down, once I got up to win, mm. once I didn't. 
But I got up. I just got beat on my feet. Mm. But I have a good chin, good strong thighs, and I knew that I could take Lennox's punches. So I said, I'll fight him. Anyway, I got in, got battered for three rounds, only amateur. He was number mm. two in the world. Bronze medalist in the 84 Olympics. Pan American Games gold medalist. Got the gold in 88, went on to win two or three world heavyweight titles. No shame to lose mm, to a man absolutely. like that. You know? And to stand on my feet with him. Who was the biggest puncher, Lennox Lewis or Mike Tyson? Oh, they were both power punches. Both power punches. Lennox might hit you with a couple, Mike could hit you with one. But they all hurt, you know. Mm. But um, I've been hurt by lesser punches than them. Mm. You know, lesser punches than Mike. You get hit the first time that I was really... Um, anyway, when I fought Lennox, I lost on points. Mm. And it was an incredible feeling to, to, to be able to stand and hear that final bell because that's all you want to do. Yeah. Your pride... You know, there's a, a poem or a song, stand up and fight, fight like hell. Stand up and fight until you hear that final bell. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to do yeah. was hear the final bell. How lovely is it? And knowing that you fought these men who went on to become the Incredible. world champions. The world they like- shared a ring with them. Amazing. They shared a ring with them. Amazing. The best one of my career, I beat Bruce Seldon. He went on to win the world heavyweight title. I got mm. battered by him in the first round in Atlantic City. I'd already lost in Atlantic City a few years previous. But now I'm boxing in Atlantic City again. I find mm. the American number one who went on to win the world heavyweight title. My two corner men wanted to retire me on my stool at the end of round one. This guy's battered me to a pulp. He was too fast, too graceful, too skillful. Just an incredible fighter. Mm. And he was hitting me with punches every angle. Went back to my corner, demoralized, but still full of full of mm. full of fight. My corner men said, We're going to retire you on the stool. I said, No way. I can't quit on my stool. No chance. No way. Quitters never win and winners never quit. Mm. I got off my stool. I came out for round two. And Selden looked at me. You're coming out for round two. The bell went. I couldn't hit him in round one because I couldn't get near him. But he stood still for that split second and I landed a body shot. Oh, oh. <laughs> bang. Landed it into his ribs. And he, he sort of bent over, curled up in pain. And I thought, I can hurt you. Got you. I can get to you. Yeah. And I went on to win the best fight of my career. There was 10 world champions in attendance. Jake Lamotta, Rocky Graziano, Joe Frazier, Juicy Joe Walker, Sandy Cadler, Billy Conn, Vito Antifirma, Floyd Patterson, Chico Vija, and there was 10 world yeah. champions in attendance <laughs> and we're fighting in front of an audience of 10 world champions. Mm. But Jake Lamotta, the raging bull, he was outside the ropes. Jake fight, Lamotta, wow. Fighting the fight outside yeah. the ropes and I was fighting inside yeah. the ropes and Jake fell and hurt his arm and cut his eye. I didn't know this. Mm. I had my problems in the ring. I didn't know what was going on outside mm. the ring. So after the fight, I have to go to the hospital. I'm in the pain, the adrenaline's wearing off, and the ambulance is delaying. I mm. thought, well, I haven't hurt Selden that bad. They're not delaying for him. But then Jake Lamotta was brought to the back of the ambulance, the raging bull. Mm. I'm sitting in the ambulance. I'm now going to share an ambulance with Jake Lamotta. Yeah. He'd cut his eye and hurt his arm. I'm in agony. Mm. And he looked at me and he went, the heavyweight, great fight, kid. Best anesthetic I've ever had. The raging bull complimenting me on a fight. The pain was just lifted. (laughs) Years later, he did two book signings with me. He did a book signing in Carlisle and he did a book signing in Doncaster. I visited the man in New York many, many times. We became the best of friends. And one time we'd done an interview with the BBC. And like I said earlier, my weight fluctuates. You know, I eat a lot, I train, I lose it. I eat a lot, I train, I lose it. Mm. But this particular time, Jake's done the book signing and we're interviewed by the BBC. Mm. And Jake said, in front of the BBC cameras, they said, you, Joe, go way back. He said, me and Joe were friends a long time. 
He said, Joe was like me. Joe would fight anybody. I thought the Raging Bulls compl yeah. complimented me comparing him to him. Yeah. Nowhere near yeah, him. Yeah. Couldn't lace his boots. <laughs> but he said he wasn't so fat then. <laughs> so <laughs> no, he said, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't care because I'd found the weight. Yeah. I don't care. You know, my weight fluctuates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Do you know the uh, kindness you are? There's a mutual friend of us, Mark Smith. I know, Mark. Lovely man. Good guy. He, uh, he, very nice guy. Very runs a, nice guy. Runs a security firm in Bournemouth. That's right. I think yeah. he stopped the security now. Has he? Yeah, he's yeah, a I know he's doing man. personal training as well. That's His right. brother's the ex-American football That's player. That's right. Lovely Great family. Guys. Both of them lovely. Good people. But Mark was telling me how you um, organised for him to go and train with Lennox. Listen to this. Yeah. Right? And he still thanks you for that. Nah, it was Lennox, Lennox is a good guy. Yeah. Right? Lennox is a good guy. I like Mark's fighters. Yeah. Good people. And... Lennox was, was was visiting a friend of his. Um, I think it might have been Spencer Fearon. Mm. Spencer's, I think, a cousin of Lennox. Mm. I'm sure it was, if it wasn't Spencer, it was something to do with Spencer. Mm. And they were raising money for um, a particular gym. Now, Lennox got to put his hand in his pocket like he's done many, many yeah. times. People don't give Lennox the credit that he deserves yeah. for being charitable. Mm. Lennox has done so much for charity, the same as Mike has. These are good people. Yeah. Kind, decent people. Yeah. But Lennox, they said, we don't want you to put your hand in your pocket, but if you could do a bit of a training session and a Lovely. bit of a lunch with, with, with 100 people and we get some contributions off these 100 mm. people, a select 100 people, right? So Mark had said to me, I'd love to meet Lennox, Joe. So I said, well, look, I can organise you and a friend as being one of these 100 people, mm. but you've got to give a little contribution to the cause, yeah. right? I said, you get to train with Lennox and you get to eat with him and talk mm -hmm. with him. He said, Joe, dream come true. I'd gone down with one of my security men, GT, and uh, I didn't train. I wasn't <laughs> training at the time. Neither was GT. <laughs> but Mark was training. Yeah. But Mark's points in the bag before Lennox arrived. This is this is true. So next to all, Mark gets the tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, you're yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark gets the tap on the shoulder. So he turns, and Mark's a big man. Yeah, he's a big lump, yeah. And he turns around and his eyes is on the chest of this powerhouse of a man, Lennox Len Lewis. So he looks up and Lennox <laughs> goes, the class hasn't started yet. So <laughs> <laughs> Mark's looking up. But it was his first confrontation yeah, yeah, with Lennox yeah, yeah. and his first meeting with Lennox. And Mark, Mark laughed. But he said, my God, Joe, he's a big he's a powerhouse. Big, man. Yeah. I said, Mark, I know how yeah. big and powerhouse he is yeah. because I said, I faced him in the mm. ring. And he is an incredible fighter. Doesn't get the recognition he deserves as a champion yeah. because he was in the limelight of Mike Tyson. Yeah. But Lennox is a, is, a, is a great champion. It was a great fight. Great champion. What are your thoughts on Saudi these days? Everyone going out to Saudi for the big money. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's, I think yeah, it's brilliant. I really do believe. It's kind of gone from Vegas now. It's going straight to Saudi. Big dollar. The there Saudi isn't the atmosphere, though, that it creates in the UK. There isn't the atmosphere there. The thing there, is... The but thing, there's the pound note. With with the Saudi royals, yeah. they respect the warriors. Yes. Because they come from warrior races themselves. Mm. The nomadic tribes in the, in, in the desert years ago, and their battles. So they're descendants of warriors. Mm. So they, they respect the fighters today. And they are giving them their just rewards the big paydays. And looking after them. Minding them yeah. properly. And I love good it. Good flights, good hotels, good I food. love it. Agreed. I think it's great. Agreed. You know, and with this, with this, it's bringing more fighters into the sport. Yeah. And with the success of the YouTube fighters, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Yeah. I think it's incredible because you've got 
hundreds of millions mm. of people watching on the YouTube, yeah. whereas terrestrial television only has so many yeah. millions. Sky Sports has only so many yeah. millions. Box Nation has only so yeah. many millions. BT Boxing has only so yeah. many millions. The YouTubers, hundreds yeah. of millions. <laughs> now, if, if a small percentage of these YouTubers watching the YouTubers box suddenly think, I like this sport. Yeah. This is an incredible sport. Boxing has gained mm. millions of fans. Mm, the boxing is blossoming with the success of the YouTubers. Yeah. It's the same when Andrew Flintoff boxed. Mm. Front page news. Mm. An incredible cricket player getting into box, a professional boxer. People criticised him. I didn't criticise him because he showed courage. Yeah. You know, you play the game of cricket, you don't play the sport of boxing. Yeah. And he got in and he boxed and there's millions of cricket fans around the world that oh, love Flintoff. Even like KSI boxing. Incredible. He's game. Let me tell you something now, right? I admire and respect any of these warriors because mm. that's what they are, they're warriors. Mm. In their prime, if you had to put your car on it or house on it, who would win, Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson? Muhammad Ali. Okay. I've spoken to Mike many times about this. Yeah. To me, Muhammad Ali wasn't just the greatest boxer to enter a boxing ring. One of the greatest human beings to enter the world. Boxing was privileged to have that man. Mm. That man could have put his hand to basketball, baseball, <laughs> yeah. American football. He was just a supreme athlete. Mm. Boxing was privileged to have him. He was in with bigger punches than Mike. Mm. He was in with George Foreman, who years later went on to win the world heavyweight title at 45. Mm. Muhammad Ali beat him in his prime. Yeah. He was in with the heavyweight, the hardest heavyweight puncher of all time, Ernie Shavers, beat him. Actually, in fact, Barry Hearn mentioned that. I had Barry Hearn on the podcast and he said, I said, who was the biggest puncher? He went, Ernie Shavers. Oh, yeah. Ernie Shavers recognised as the heavy, yeah. heaviest puncher of all time. Yeah. And but you'd go Ali all day long, would you? Oh, every day of the week. I believe that his boxing and brain. And Mike, what about Mike if you asked Mike? Mike has his opinion as a fighter that he believes that he could beat anyone put in front of him. Yeah. But that's the fighter's belief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even fights that I was getting in, I had no chance against Lennox Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> I had no chance. But in my heart and in my head, I believed I could win. You sort of hope that I'd have a bad day and you need a special day. <laughs> but it's the fighter's spirit. So now today you're 58. 58. And you called out John Fury. No, I didn't call out John Fury. Did you Fury. not? No. Who did John Fury call John you Fury, out? John Fury, no. John Fury has made a statement saying that he's he would the... fight any 58-year-old on the planet. Yeah. He's the toughest 58-year-old on the planet in his mind. Yeah. Now, I'm 58. I don't think I'm the toughest 58-year-old on the planet, but I believe on my day, I could beat John Fury. So I, I just said, I'll take up that challenge. I said, I'll have a go. John, you want it? Let's get it on. Do you know John Fury? Yeah, I know him, man. I like John. Have you, can you text him and say, should we get it on? Would he reply? I've got his number. Yeah. You know, I haven't texted him. No. I haven't phoned him to get it on. I've just made a video Yeah. to say, you've called out Mike Tyson. Mm. Now, no disrespect to John Fury. He's not in the league of Mike Tyson, mm. but he's a fighting man. Mm. John's like me. He's a man of courage. We weren't any good. Mm. Dodge, neither of us were any good. We were just tough men. Yeah. But two donkeys make a great race, right? <laughs> and I believe that John Fury never fulfilled any potential because he would have been working on a building site and then going to fight. Yeah. I was the same. I never really fulfilled any potential. Mm. Not that I had any. Mm. But I was working three jobs, sleeping, eating, training mm. as much as I could in between working three jobs. Why, why would you want to fight John Fury? Well, it's not, why would I want to yeah. fight him? He's put down a challenge. But why would you want to take that and challenge? At this stage in my life, I'm 58 years of age. I want a challenge, mm. you know. 
I haven't been in the boxing ring in 20 years, but I haven't cycled a bike in 20 years on the streets either. But I'm not going to go out onto a cycle bike, yeah. a bicycle, and cycle around the streets of Bournemouth. I'm not going to win Tour de France, yeah. but I could cycle a bike, you know? I haven't been in a boxing ring. With the old tight yellow shirt on. Yeah, I haven't been, oh, <laughs> listen, I haven't been in a boxing ring since I was 38 years. Yeah. 20 years. Mate, I reckon but you'd, I know. you'd pack a place out if you were fighting John. Listen, let me you tell you that. something yeah. now, right? I don't like- Are you doing it for the money? Oh, well, I'm not going to do it for nothing. No, but would you I be- I want a trophy. I want a payday. You want a payday? Of course. Is that the biggest motivation for you? No, not really. Okay. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't take drugs. Yeah. I've got a nice job. Yeah. I, 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 listen, when, when, um, when I got the part in the films, right? How many show, films you've been over in? Over 60 now. Six. Over 60. Six zero. Yeah, six zero. Wow. I've worked with four Academy Award winners. I've been very, very blessed. But the first film that I got to do, I got to do Cass. And when I was on the film, I met Tama Hassan. Yeah. And Tama Hassan said, if you've got a good presence on screen, Joe, would you fancy an acting career? My agent could do something with you. I said, I've acted my way to a boxing career. I'll give it a go. Mm. His agent sent me for the audition of Sherlock Holmes and to play Mac Murdo, to play a character fighting Sherlock Holmes. I got the part. They sent me to the read-through. My name played Joe Egan next to Jude Law, Robert Downey Jr., Eddie Marson, Rachel McAdams, who re after I got the Academy Award for Southpaw, sitting opposite Joel Silver, the CEO of Warner Brothers, Guy Ritchie. And Guy said, Joe, I've been trying to get you in one of my films for a long time. I said, you're joking. And Robert Downey Jr. leaned in. This is Iron Man. Yeah. And he said, Joe, you come with a fearsome reputation. I couldn't believe these people even knew me. Yeah. Anyway, we traveled down in the minibus to do the practice fight. And Guy said, how are things, Joe? I said, things are okay, guy. I'm making ends meet. Same as I'm making ends meet now. Yeah. He said, has your agent told you what you get for the fight scene? I said, guy, I never even asked. I'm just so honored to be yeah, in your film. Yeah. When he told me how much I was getting for the fight scene, it was more than I got in any of my professional fights. I was deadly serious, Dodge. Yeah. I said, guy, for that money, Robert Downey Jr. can really hit me. You can kick me as well if you want <laughs> to. It was more than I got in any of my professional fights. And he started laughing. He said, Joe, I don't want you to be beaten up. I said, for guy, for that money, I do a few weeks in hospital. Yeah. I didn't have to get beat up. I got called my name, Big Joe, in a prison scene. They called you, you kept the name Robert Big Downey Joe. Robert Downey Jr. called me Big Joe in the prison scene. Nice class. It made my mum so proud. Yeah. And it made all the beatings that I've talked. And I've had some savage beatings mm. in my life. Mm. It's made all the beatings that I've talked worthwhile. In the recent film that I've done with Russell Crowe, it's called Prize Fighter. Russell Crowe calls me Joe in the film. I've been called my own name by two Academy Award winners. How good does it get? That's respect. You know, unbelievable. Yeah. The money was secondary. Yeah. It's the same way with the fight with John Fury. It's pride. He's called out a 58-year-old man on the planet brave enough to fight him. I've stepped up to the mark. Yeah. Now I'm hoping that he stands on what he says. The money, yeah, of course it's going to be money. Mm. Like I said, trophies are no good to me now, yeah. but the money will be a bonus. Mm. But it's a challenge. It's a reason to get fit. Mm. It's a reason to have, have, have something to motivate to me in the on. gym, to focus yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm still working. I'm still making a living. I'm still making ends meet. Yeah. I work for two good men, as I said earlier on, Ali yeah. and John O'Connor. Yeah. You know, good people, and I'm blessed with them in my life at this stage in my life. Mm. You know, I wish they'd been in my corner when I was boxing mm. <laughs> because they're in my corner in life now. And I've got, I've got, um, I'm okay. I'm okay in, 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 in finances because I don't drink or smoke or take yeah. drugs or gamble. Yeah, yeah. And I've always had the safety and the security. Joe, you, you, you are a beautiful human being. Well, thank you very much for that compliment. Mate, I've sat here for two hours. You are a one kind human being with a massive heart and soul. Yeah. It's really powerful, mate. Thank you.
But I tried to to be the best I can be. That's all we can in life. Yeah. Just try our best. You're a kind you know? man. You're a good man. Oh, I've I, I got a lot of kindness in me. Yeah, mate. You got a lot. Of I've kindness. got the same friends I've had though since I know. I can, I can imagine. I can I carried, imagine, mate. Geez, it's like you're the you're you 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 got that aura about you that everyone will want to be with you and everyone will be kind to you and nice to you. And the way you correspond to people back and forth and get back to everyone and be kind to everyone, that's special, mate. There's not many people in this world like that these days. Mm. Caught me off guard with that compliment. I, I mean it. I, I know. Thank you. But uh, I've, and had, I, I've had, And I really appreciate you coming down. Oh, it's, it's great. It's I travel down memory lane. Yeah. But I've had, I've had hardships in my life. I remember the first time I got put down. I've got to listen to it. Can mm. I tell you the story? Yeah, mate. Go for it. My dad used to call me for my runs in the morning. And uh, I never liked running. And- <laughs> He used to say, drag yourself out of bed, son. It's like dragging yourself off the deck when you get decked. I said, Dad, no one's going to deck me. My chin's granite. Mm. And that's what I believe in the John Fury fight. Mm. Right? I believe my chin is still granite. Mm. I've been hit on the chin by three heavyweight champs of the world. Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson and Bruce Seldon. And they didn't knock me out. Mm. John got hit on the chin by one heavyweight champion of the world, Henry Akamonde, and he got knocked out. So I believe that on the night of the fight, and I hope it happens, that my chin will stand up. If anyone listening to this or watching this on YouTube want to see this fight, please leave comments below. Yeah. Let's see I it. Believe, Let's I, see believe, it. I, I want to see I this happen. I believe the YouTubers, I believe the YouTubers. Want it happen. KSI, MAMS and his management team, KSI's management team. I believe that John has upset a lot of the YouTubers, yeah. throwing chairs and disrespecting them. These are young children, young men, young women, adults. You know, How do you feel about John Fury throwing chairs and tables like around? That. I don't like that because boxing doesn't just need great fighters, it needs great ambassadors. Yeah. And I think John's letting the sport down with his conduct. Yeah. You know, I don't like that conduct. Mm. And the fact that he's um, been aggressive towards these people that are fans of the sport, mm. you know, that are potential fans that are going to bring in more fans. Yeah. Don't disrespect the sport. Mm. Don't don't carry on mm. like, like that, you know. Carry yourself. Your son is the heavyweight champion of the mm. world. You know, carry yourself as as an ambassador for the sport. Mm. But he's letting the sport down with his conduct. But when when um, when we fight, if the fight happens, I believe that my chin will stand up to his punches better than his chin will stand up to my punches. What, We're what, not going to be dancing around no. the ring. We're too old for that. Yeah. We're not going to be throwing combinations. We're too old for that. We're going to stand in the centre of the ring and we're going to hit each other. As two gladiators, yeah. we're going to hit each other. We're going to hit each other as hard as we possibly can with what's left in our tank, yeah. right? And at 58, I think there's a bit left. I'll have a good training camp that I've never had the luxury of before. Yeah. John will have a good training camp that he's never had the luxury of before because we would have been working and then going to fight. Who and can make Who can make John Fury, Joe Egan fight happen? The YouTubers. Okay. They can make it happen. Yep. KSI's people can make it happen. They've got the money to make it happen. They've got the the they've got the um, business acumen to yeah, make it okay. happen. And I think that if John Fury gets offered enough, he will. He'll do it. He has to fight. Yeah. Do you understand? He has to fight. Are you he's, saying he has to fight because he's saying people are calling him out, but he's not replying back to anyone? Listen, his son was the heavy the heavyweight title fight. Yeah. Sadly, it's not on because of a cut. Mm. So John's got other things going on in his life. I think the responses are going to come now. Yeah. Right. And. The thing is, he's got to stand up to the mark. He's thrown down the challenge. I've accepted the challenge. You know, he's a fighting man. Stand up to the mark, yeah. right? Let the, the the YouTubers negotiate a deal for for big money. Mm. I'm not going to fight for nothing. I'm not going to fight for a trophy. Mm. But I will fight the same as he will fight. Mm. And I believe that we'll stand in the centre of the ring. And have and a tear-up. We'll have a tear-up. Yeah. <laughs> and we will show 
What weight do you reckon you would perfect weight for you to come in at? I'll make 17 stone. 17 stone. Yeah. My last pro fight, I was 15, 10. Mm. I'll make 17 stone. Mm. And if there's something in the tank, which I believe there still is, mm. same as what I think there's a little bit left in the tank of John. That night we'll see. Hey, that's who an exciting it. fight. That night we'll see who wants it the most. And I believe that my chin will stand up to his punches yeah. better than his chin will stand up mm. to mine. But I hope when the fight's over, we embrace this fight as should. I believe Two we will. Two good men. I won't disrespect yeah. him. Yeah. I'm not going to call him names. Yeah. No chance. Mm. Why would I do that? Mm. I'm asking him to back up the words of what he said. Yeah. He will fight any 58-year-old on the planet that's brave enough to fight him. I'm brave enough to fight him. Do you understand? He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a tough, tough man. Mm. I'm a tough, tough man as mm. well. Mm. Not a skillful man. Same as he wasn't a skillful man. Good but like fight. I said, two donkeys make mm. a good race. <laughs> right? And the YouTubers will enjoy it. Yeah. You know, because it's it's a sport. Mm. Right? And they will enjoy it. Mm. Right? And they will hopefully get to see John Fury lose. Mm. Because... I know he doesn't have a big fan base of the YouTubers, <laughs> you know, and I'm delighted that they're getting behind me. Yeah. You know, it's great, a, isn't it? Oh, it's brilliant. Mm. The guy that does uh, a lot of my YouTube stuff, young Theo, mm. uh, an incredible young man, 18 years of age, but he's, he's a computer whiz kid. Mm. And uh, my agent, Dave Mariner, and my other friend, Kamal Singh, E4K, mm. they are doing all this social media. Mm. I had three lessons on computer when I was in, in mm. prison and I knew it wasn't for me. Mm. Like I said, I left school with swimming certificates. Mm. Joe. I'm old school, smoke signals and pigeon post. These are, <laughs> these, are, these are incredible what they do. This is great, mate. But Joe, let me tell you about when I got put down first. Joe, before we finish up here. Yes. Where can people find you on social media? Oh, okay. Um, there's the TikTok, big dot joe.egan because yep. I had to do a little video last night for Theo yep. then there's um, the Twitter yeah, the YouTube just before we finish up Joe can I tell you about the first time I got put down I want to tell you this story please go on in right my dad used to call me for the runs and I didn't want to go run he said drag yourself out of bed it's like dragging yourself off the deck when you get decked so the first time I got put down the Acropolis games the Greek my left eye was damaged I'd won two previous fights and my left eye was damaged but I'm now getting into the medal stages, the bronze medal. And if I win, I'm going to get into the final. So my cornerman wanted to not let me box. I said, no, no, my eye's not completely closed. I can see. Yeah. They said, Joe, your eye's badly damaged. I said, the doc doctor passes me, I'm okay yeah. to fight. The Greek who'd got a boy and only one fight would have got a boy into the final and would have had two boys into the final with one fight. He would have been fighting a man in the final with three fights. Yeah. So they let me box. Even though my eye was damaged, the Greek doctor let me box in Athens. So lo and behold, then I've come out of the medical. I said to my cornerman, I'm allowed box. They said, Joe, your left eye's badly damaged. I said, I'm okay to fight. The doctor's told me I'm okay mm -hmm. to fight. I've only got one round in me before my eye was going to close. So I went at the Greek in the first round. I couldn't do much. He was too powerful. Mm. My left eye closed completely. Second round, I didn't see the punch coming and he caught me and I'm on the deck. I didn't even know I'd been mm. hit. I never felt it. And I'm on the deck. I'm lying flat on my back. So from the moment he hit me to where I fell to where I'm lying flat on my back with my right arm like this, trying to find my bed sheets. I was in bed. 
I'm looking, I'm asleep, <laughs> but I'm looking for my bed seat. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> my corner man thought I was calling them into the ring. I yeah. wasn't. I was looking for my bed sheets on the flat of my back in the center of the ring. And I turned onto my left hand side. My left eye was completely closed. And I saw with my right eye, the referee go five. And I went, I'm on the deck here. I got to my feet. My two corner men were in the ring at that stage. And I staggered into their arms. And I got beat on my feet. Mm. My first pro fight in round six, I got put down as mm. well. But I got up and went on to win. There were the two times I was put down. I was tired in round six. I got put down, but I went on to win. With the fight in Greece, I was wounded and I got put down. But I remember phoning my dad after the fight, who told me it was like dragging yourself out of bed. Mm. My dad must have been put down at one time yeah. in his life. Yeah. Anyway, I rang him. I said, Dad, I've won a bronze medal. He said, well done, son. I said, it was like, what you said, Dad? Dragging yourself out of bed. You got decked. I said, I'm all right, Dad. My left eye's closed, mm. but I got up and I got beat on my mm. feet. I've had a roller coaster of a life, but like you I have. said earlier on, my analogy of life is mm. when you're on a life support machine and I've been on a life support mm. machine, your heart beats, the monitor goes up, mm. your heart beats, it goes down, your heart beats, it goes up. When you die, you're flat lines. Yeah. And life is like that, peaks and troughs. Yeah. And I think you've got to experience the lows to appreciate, appreciate the, the highs. highs. And I've had a lot of lows in my life. Yeah. I've had a lot of highs, not talking drug highs mm. because I don't take yeah, drugs, yeah. but I've experienced a lot. both both ends of I've the got, Richter I've scale. I've got to say, like this podcast is called Eventful Lives Podcast. This is the epitome of an eventful life. And you know what I've learned from this? I've learned so many things from this couple of hours, but the biggest thing I've learned from this is that I know you've had a really tough time the last couple of years with your mum and dad and you. but listening to you talk now passionately, your old man and mum will be so proud of you. Sitting here today, telling this life story, 100%, mate. Thank you. Thank you. I've loved it. I've loved every minute of this. I've enjoyed it. You're a proper gentleman. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You're a proper gentleman. Thank you. Yeah. I pride myself on my manners. You are well-mannered. Mate, everything that you've got, you'd want your kid to be brought up with. And that's well-mannered, polite, respect, discipline, all the beautiful things that my old man brought me up with, yeah. old school. And that's, that's where we are today, mate. And... I really thank you coming down here. My pleasure. I've loved it, mate. So I've enjoyed yeah. it because I travelled down memory lane. You're a gentleman. And uh, thank you very much. Good Dutch. man, Joe. Thank you. Nice one, fella. Yeah.